Hello, and welcome to The Pondering Episodes. Have you got thoughts and questions about faith, the Bible, church, and life in general? Well, so do we. In these episodes, we aim to have conversations where we wrestle and embrace all that this journey of faith brings. Do we have all the answers? No. But we are willing to ponder the big and the small things and have honest chats that may bring about new ways of thinking. Now, today's episode is the next part where we're looking at pondering Revelation. And today, Hannah and Mike are joined by a very special guest, that is Jared McKenna. Now, it is my job to give Jared a bit of an introduction. So, him and his wife have four boys that live in the hills of Noongar Land, otherwise known as Perth, Australia, and he has a self-professed problematic passion for Jesus. To give him further introduction, he is the founding CEO of Common Grace, a movement of 50,000 Christians advocating for beauty, generosity, and justice. He is World Vision Australia's National Advisor for Faith and Activism, as well as Social Change Trainer with the Change Agency. He's an initiator of the Love Makes A Way movement for refugees, which has become the largest faith-based civil disobedience movement in Australia's history. He's the founder of the First Home Project for Refugees, the former WA State Director of the Multi-Faith Service Project Together for Humanity, former co-host of the Jesus Radicals, and the non-violent social change educator for World Vision in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Also, being an accomplished pastor and preacher. Now, that is one hefty introduction. So, let's throw to Hannah, Mike, and Jared. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so... Friends, we have today with us Jared McKenna, which is so exciting that we get to have a chat um, with him today. Welcome, Jared. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, Anna. Yeah, good to be with you lot. Um, and I don't know you, I haven't met you before, but Mike uh, knows you. And so, Mike, I'm going to throw to you and just kind of let you introduce Jared and, and kickstart our conversation today. Yeah, well, um, thank you, Hannah. Um, Jared, I've known of for many years uh, before he knew me, and then um, through um, different in different ways, we uh, have joined together at different times through uh, some Bible study work, and um, yeah, just a shared passion and love for seeing Jesus work uh, continue not only through the local church but around the world. And his um, learning, and I should say, your learning, Jared and experience has had a profound impact and real challenge to me. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to have you part of this conversation, which is part of our Ponderings Revelation series. And we'd probably love, first off, if you could just give our listeners who don't know who you are, and we've given you a bit of an intro um, before our conversation, but a little bit of your story as to how did you become the Jared McKenna that you are today? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mike. Um well, uh, maybe my my name, uh, though anglicised, might give some of it away, particularly considering um, what we're discussing in the current climate of um, our, our news and headlines, newspapers and social media feeds being filled with constant tragedies coming out of what Christians have traditionally referred to as the Holy Lands. Um, my full name, uh, the un-anglicised version, is Yered Shul Mukunda. Um, there's two Hebrew words there, and there's one Irish word, or as many English pe- uh, speakers say, 
um, Gaelic, but the Irish don't actually call it Gaelic. They call it um, Irish because it's the language of the Irish. And uh, Saul is my mum's maiden name. It's an anglicised version of um, uh, her family's name, which, um, hoping to escape persecution uh, because of them being Jewish, they anglicised their name when they moved from Russia to the UK before coming out to Australia. It didn't work. They, st they still got huge amount of persecution, <laughs> um, which was part of the reason why leaving. So um, as my first two names suggest, um, Ashkenazi Jews is part of my mum's lineage, um, which weirdly for me, one time uh, I used to work for World Vision in the Middle East and Eastern Europe as their um, nonviolent social change coordinator for the two regions. And uh, one time uh, being detained in Tel Aviv by Israeli um, soldiers, uh, they were like, you know, you can get Israeli citizenship because of your family connection. So there's, there's a strange kind of connection to what we're discussing. And McKenna, my dad migrated to Australia in 1972. Um, uh, he was a part of a monastery in the south of Ireland, uh, Dublin in particular, before he came out um, to be with his seven brothers and four sisters, so Irish Catholic family, they all migrated, meant to go to Sydney, um, uh, your old stomping ground, Mike, Yeah, got, got off a boat in Fremantle and went, this is pretty good. We're, we're going to stay here. Um, and uh, weirdly, in terms of the connections to this issue, uh, because of the experience of uh, the Irish who have been in Ireland for thousands of years, as opposed to um, those who have been for 500 years as the first kind of experiment of what happened elsewhere in the world, including these lands we're, which we're now on. Uh, they get referred to as Australia, but it has a history prior to that. Um, on my grandmother's street, still today, there is a mural to Gaza because of their identification with the suffering of people and how it's similar to their own. So on both sides of my family and what makes up Jared, it, are these realities that swirl and mm -hmm. what I've sought to do. And I, I giggled Mike, um, to myself when you talked about like the challenge of like some of my learning, I just want to confess at the outset, um, uh, it's challenging for me as well. I'm just trying to surrender to the spirit of God and, and try and be a truthful witness. Um, and I don't like all the costs that are involved with it, but I just want to be with Jesus. And so as earnestly as I can, I'm trying to do that, given my family histories and how my family histories get redeemed by Christ and him crucified. That, that's what I've set my heart to know. And I hope that comes across regardless of where people are on this issue. My hope is that people's heart will be on the crucified one who calls us to walk in resurrection. Wow. Well, straight up, I mean, thank you for sharing that um, background. That's a fascinating background for the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, around how we understand and think about the book of Revelation, which our community has been working through the last seven weeks, and how we make sense of that message of the book of Revelation in terms of what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus and the, of the Lamb. And so um, I'm going to throw to Hannah in a moment. She's going to kick us off uh, with some questions today. But um, I think right up front, there's a sense of humility that I'm hearing that I'm, I just want to say, we all want this. We, we need to desire that sense of humility to say, we need to be with Jesus. 
And so that's the posture of this conversation. So I hope for all of our listeners that um, we're all going to just sit back now and say, let's stay open, let's be curious, and let's allow our hearts to move towards Jesus. That's our hope. So thank you for sharing that. So, Jared, and I think in that same um, heart of humility that Mike was just talking about, I'll be the first to admit I what's happened in probably the last couple of months uh, within Gaza and between Israel and Palestine, all of it, um, I really, I don't know a lot. I am a white woman in Sunshine Coast. I have very little ability to even grasp what's happening. And yet I'm in a Christian culture that seems to have very strong views on where we should stand Hmm. um and so i guess in light of that and and in this journey of um of really wanting to be jesus in and and to see through jesus's eyes that lens of jesus in this situation and and what is happening Mm -hmm. i guess my first question is how do in light of i guess if people have grown up within christendom within um any understanding of the Bible and knowing that they've been taught that um, God, that you know, these promises about God having land for Israel, this promise of Israel and the land and all of it, how do we approach that in light of what's happening in the world right now? What does that look like to understand what that means now? And maybe what is maybe the ideas some people have had and some thinking, Mm -hmm. but perhaps how can we uh, transform our thinking with what's happening at the moment? Yeah, thanks, Hannah. I'm fascinated that you use the word Christendom, and I think it's actually very helpful. Um, Christendom, uh, for, for those clever cookies amongst us who spend too often in time in libraries, they use Christendom in a very particular way to talk about not the early church and their witness, but the witness um, post-Emperor Constantine and his vision and how um, the church uh, uh, got into bed with empire and created a way um, for the church to exist without persecution. Mm. Um, Sadly, part of that way since the fourth century has involved being chaplain to the persecution of others. So, Hannah, these two strange realities are true at the same time. The largest group to be persecuted in the world and throughout history have been Christians. Hold on to that. Mm. But hold on to this other paradox, which is also true. The largest group to persecute Christians is Christendom. And Christendom has also persecuted and scapegoated the Jewish people. Strangely, Christians who have found themselves in the vulnerability of which Jewish people found themselves in Christian um, empires uh, or Christendom have also experienced that persecution, which brings us straight back to this incredible series that you lot have been doing as a community to actually challenge how do we not be faithful to a particular Christian tradition But how do we have a lamb-like lens, even on our own Christian traditions 
and have the humility to remove the log from our own eye instead of having a go of, at others, mm-hmm. but instead remove that log so that um, we can be of assistance to others. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, Hannah, start with, judge not lest you be judged. The same measure that you judge others will be measured against you, and they stop there. That's actually a diagnosis of our problem, but actually the, the medication or the therapeutic um, prognosis and journey that we're to go on is removing logs Mm -hmm. from our eyes. So one of the first logs that we can remove, and I hope this is helpful for people, this is, that that was a long introduction to what hopefully will now be a short answer. I I call it my 3-316 answer. And I call it my 3-316 answer because it's, it's my hope that it's simple enough that people would remember it. Um, and I won't put you on the spot um, and it won't ask you to recite because when we get put on the spot, we we, we panic and those things disappear <laughs> from us. But at American football games, there's a certain 316 that is put on banners mm-hmm. that people hold up um, without asking you to recite the whole verse. Um, what is that 316 that people hold up? Oh, at the football games? Yeah, yeah. I I don't, well, I don't know, actually. I know what the verse is, but I don't know what they <laughs> Well, strangely, there's this weird thing that those who are at wrestling games hold up Austin 316 uh, because some clever marketing person thought, <laughs> like, let's jump on this bandwagon. But it, like, John 316, and um, uh, together maybe we can spell it out. For those who know John 316, for God so something something. Loved the world. Of the that world. God did what? Gave his only son. That? Whoever. Whoever. Um, this is really important um, because often people forget the scope and the breadth of the gospel. Yeah. The so isn't always helpful. And David Bentley Hart's translation of the Greek um, is helpful because um, he insists that the so isn't about, like as we say to our kids, I love you so much. Of course that's true. But actually John 3.16 is about how God loves. Um, God loves like this. So this is how God loves is another way that we can put it. Or um, this is the shape of God love, God's love, that God gives of God's self in the only begotten son, that whomever. And so the first is about the breadth, that this is to be um, for all people. And the world there is cosmos. It, it is an aeon. Um, it, it isn't talking about um, uh, the, the systems which are simply in rebellion. It's talking about all of creation. Yeah. So the first 316 that we have to hang on to in answering this is that it has to be as broad as this is good news to all of creation, and it has to take the shape of a God who gives God's self in the sun, so whomever. So that one people generally know. This one's harder, and again, not to put people on the spot, but extra points if you know 1 John 3, 16. Does anybody have that memorised? Is that? Oh, no, it's not. It's 418. I thought it was going to be perfect love cast out of fear. You so. know what, though, Mike? The connections between 316 and then chapter 4 from 7 down to 20 are so strong that that's a wonderful kind of initial association. And that's why they pay you, you. the big bucks. You. Um, <laughs> uh, I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> First John 3.16, almost in connection to John 3.16, if John 3.16 is about the breadth of what is saved, 
1 John 3.16 is about the shape of salvation. It reads, this is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our sisters and brothers. So 1 John 3.16 is about the breadth. It's good news for all of creation, whomever wants in. Second one is about the shape of that. This love isn't just an emotion. It isn't just an expression of depth. It is actually shaped like Jesus. If we were to use the language of the book of Revelation, we would say that the ferocity of the lamb's roar is revealed to have a lamb-like shape. The ferocity of the lion's energy is not done away with. It's actually channeled, transfigured, transformed into this nonviolent way of saving, which is to say we will preach Christ and him crucified. Christian discipleship has the same shape as Christian salvation. The only way we witness to Jesus being the way is living the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the danger is if we talk about Jesus being the way, and don't actually take up our own cross in the grace-filled discipleship of putting our Lord's teachings into practice, we are just a clanging gong or a tinkling cymbal mm -hmm. because love is actually the shape of how we're to respond to any issue. Mm -hmm. Which finally brings us to our last 316. Our last 316 that I hope is going to be helpful for people is Galatians 316. I, I want to read it directly to make sure that um, I, I don't misspeak in my um, memory verse from when I was a teenager and came to faith. But Galatians 3, 16 reads like this. The promises that were spoken to Abraham, so we're talking about Genesis 12, and to his seed. Now, this sounds, this next bit is going to sound like I'm doing commentary, um, please have your Bibles open because this is Paul doing commentary mm. on his referencing of Scripture. Not Jared, but another Saul, whose Greek name is Paul, says, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person mm. who is the Messiah. Yeah. The Mishiach. The Christos. Mm. The anointed one. An ancient way of saying king. The promises that were given to Abraham are fully fulfilled in Jesus. And that's why it's not the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. Mm. And what we get in the book of Revelation, in the same way that if you're using Google Map and you're trying to find a particular house, you might put it on street view. And in the Gospels, we get four different street views of four different cameras that have driven by the reality of what God has done in Jesus. Mm. But in the book of Revelation, we get a bird's eye view. What is it to see what God has done at Calvary through the resurrection, as if we were looking from the other side of the veil, as if we were looking from eternity, which is breaking into reality, as yeah. if we were looking from the perspective of how God sees. And that's why when we see from the perspective of how God sees, we can realise that, well, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, we once saw the Messiah, the King, the Mishiach, the Christos, the Christ, from a worldly point of view. And that worldly point of view is that the Messiah is going to come and save with a sword. Mm. But if we are a new creation, 
not new creations, but how it actually reads in 2 Corinthians 5, is new creation. Mm. You are part of God's healing of all things. Mm. Once you've entered into that, we see that it is the Lamb who saves. Or as John puts it in his gospel, behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Mm. Not plural, because just as all Jesus's Oh, God's yes and amens are fulfilled in Jesus. So that's 2 Corinthians, what, one twenty. In the same way, sin is not about individual actions. It's actually about how creation itself has been crippled by domination, injustice, mm-hmm. violence, oppression, death, and Jesus comes and removes this one reality, not saving us from creation, but saving creation, of which we are part, from all domination. And this is the good news of the gospel that we've got to hold on to. Christ and him crucified, which is going to be so challenging for those who want to approach these geopolitical realities as if it was, you know, the Maroons versus the Blues and we're just picking a team. No, our job isn't to take the side of a particular conflict. It's to be found at the side of the crucified one in the vulnerability of the early church that leaves space for the Holy Spirit who will raise those from the grave if we pick up our cross and trust in resurrection power. I hope those three three sixteens are going to be really helpful for anyone sincerely trying to follow Jesus mm. at this time as we consider those issues. Wow. Yeah. That's, well, that's yeah. good preaching, by the way. Um, <laughs> wow. If I was preaching, Mike, there, there would have been more intonation in my voice. <laughs> oh, man. Still, though, I, I mean, again, um, yeah, and that would be felt in in that context. But mm. I felt that that word power. Um, mm. That's a really, really great and helpful way to frame that. Yeah. Sorry, back to you, Hannah. I just need to respond to that. <laughs> oh, I'm a little bit just flawed. I'm just sitting here like sitting in that what yeah Mm. that's just a really powerful beautiful description um and and i guess step forward for people to just go like yeah go back and read those that man i just i'm like i've I've got my bible open i'm trying to like take notes whilst you're talking because i was just so like it's just amazing well Um, anna for, for, yes. Since this is like uh, for those who are wanting to go deeper, yes. if I was to supersize that mini sermon, yeah. <laughs> as Mike said, um, if I was to upgrade for free, I think what happens when we take those three passages seriously and we realise that we're actually in continuity with the early church, mm-hmm. um, w- with those who actually discerned the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, we're in um, cohorts with the magisterial reformers like Luther and Calvin, who also had this take, um, uh, where um, alongside the radical reformation of the Anabaptists, what we realise is then when we jump into Jesus's good news or blessing or encouragement to walk on because the kingdom is breaking in in the Beatitudes, we hear how Jesus answers this question himself. Here's a supersize. We hear, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But actually, in the Greek, it reads, blessed are those who, this term that is used for both Moses and this term that is used later in Matthew 11 for Jesus, 
this power, th this term that is actually the Greek term for a horse that has been tamed. Horses are strong, powerful creatures, a little bit scary if you don't know what you're doing next to them or where to stand. And yet when a horse has been tamed, it is the lion's energy shaped like a lamb. And this is the term that's used. We could say nonviolent. We could say disarmed. Most translations say meek. And unfortunately, in English, we associate weak instead of the life of Jesus and the life of Moses, this power that is disarmed to be a blessing to all the nations through this particular one, for they will inherit, and it reads in Greek, the land. Jesus's take, it's those who walk in the way of the cross, in the power of the resurrection, who take up their cross and imitate Jesus, that they will inherit the land. And we can't lose the way of Jesus from our talk of Jesus being the way. Yeah. So, okay. I'm listening to this and I'm sitting here. I'm a typical listener. I'm driving along in my car uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's all good. That's great. Excellent. And my brain jumps to my childhood teaching that I grew up in where we were taught to think that um, the Jews are the chosen people of God. And even that idea of chosen is a very loaded concept because we often see that only in terms of chosen for heaven versus chosen with a unique purpose to express um, God's blessing to the nations and represent the uh, the image of God to the nations. Um, so we've got the children of Israel and the story that we're, we have unfolding in the Hebrew scriptures is one of them growing as a nation, being liberated from slavery, which is mm -hmm. an important thing to hold on to and remember, uh, yeah. then, then looking for a place to settle. And this kind of ongoing theme that Hannah referred to before around a promised land. Mm. And there seems to be a lot of confusion in Christian circles around that ongoing promise at what point did that promise land stop what's the nature of the promised land is it literal or metaphorical um and fundamentally are we meant to be supporting the modern state of israel in what many believe is a prophecy fulfilled that they have now received that promised land and it's their right to continue to gain whatever land they maybe once had in history and get it back again. Now, this is a, a, a thinking that is very common for many people in Western Christianity, hmm. one that I was brought up to understand and had no point to question until, of course, I met some Palestinian kids growing up mm -hmm. and uh, Lebanese friends of mine and, and realized, oh, other people have different ideas about this. What does this all mean? And then as I've delved into scripture over time, I've had to wrestle with what this looks like. Given that framework, how do you help us understand perhaps a different way to, of thinking about this? Yeah, great question, Mike. Um, and let's just spell out really quickly that the, the ramifications of how we answer this will either make knowing Christ and him crucified central or justify the crucifixion of others for some greater purpose. Mm, gosh. And the cross is central to both. But in one telling, the cross is seen through resurrection as the vulnerability of God or the weakness of God, which is stronger than any human strength. 
which is the foolishness of the cross. But we need not forget that the Roman Empire, like all empires, also had a theology of the of a cross. And it's if you are not on our side, you can expect to be strung up. And with your bodies, where you have formed an opinion and a position in opposition to our agenda, we will make you a billboard to show you real power and that no one can resist what's happening. And this is why... Um, Mike, I sometimes start, and maybe it's when people find out my Jewish background, they're like, oh, okay, Jared's not being anti-Semitic, so I'll, I'll listen to him. Um, but I often encourage people, go and learn what any Israeli human rights group is saying at the moment and how they're encouraging us, um, like Betzalem, uh, this group whose name literally comes from uh, Genesis 1, the image of God, um, the, the image, um, who are speaking out against how um, it, what Israel, the nation state formed in 1948, is doing. Um, I worked with Rabbis for Human Rights, which is a Zionist group, but a Zionist group who of Israelis um, who believe that the only way um, we're actually um, to be a nation state is actually to not lose track of God's commandments to care for the widow and the stranger, as in the alien, the outsider, the refugee, um, and that human rights aren't worthy of any people who understand themselves to be Israel. Now, Christian theology aside, if we listen to the most civil disobedience that is happening in the world on behalf of those who are suffering in Gaza, and I think on recording today, 13,000 people, one in every 200 children. Lord have mercy. Like, just let that settle in for a moment. It is Jewish faith groups who are putting their body on the line and nonviolently being arrested to highlight this suffering and say, we must speak out against this. My question is, if our Jewish neighbours and friends and family are doing this, where are the church mm -hmm. that claim that Messiah isn't something we're waiting for, but has arrived? And he's arrived in history, not saving with a sword, but with a towel that washes his feet, even of the ones who are going to betray him, because this is the shape, this is the scope, this is the breadth, and this is the promises of God being fulfilled. Mm. So... One way to kind of bring us back to answering this question is if you ever face a temptation to side with a kind of power that didn't raise Jesus from the grave, to side with might or power instead of the spirit of God, we have left a faithfulness to Jesus and his way of the cross. If you're in a story that dehumanizes some and calls you to lose track of the humanity, of all of God's children, particularly our sisters and brothers. The, the Palestinian church has been there since Pentecost, literally. Yeah. I, I was with a friend and I used to um, uh, take tours to the Holy Land um, of particularly North American pastors. And I had this one pastor who listened to what uh, Palestinian Christians are experiencing with his baseball hat and all his sincerity and really sincere. Good dude. 
spent two weeks with him, seeing all these realities, great heart. And he responded to one of our brothers who was sharing about what he's experienced and, and the tragedy that they live under and all that they're going through. And his question to this brother was, so when did your family convert to Christianity? And my friend just leant back a little and, and smiled. And I was like, is he going to answer? Did he hear the question? And he just um, uh, looked our American brother in the eye and said, have you read Acts 2? You read when my family converted to Christianity. The Jews that resp responded at Pentecost, th that lineage is hasn't disappeared. 8% of um, uh, the people who lived part of the British mandate after the Ottoman Empire um, fell, and then you had France and England drawing lines about which part of the Middle East was going to be theirs. And you have Lebanon, we'll take south of that. 8% um, were Jewish. But a lot of the Christians who were there have been there and they share in this tradition. If your reading of quote-unquote prophecy isn't fulfilled in Jesus, you've moved away from how the early church mm. actually read scripture and how Calvin and Luther read scripture and how Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism read scripture and how the Radical Reformation, the Anabaptists read scripture. And you're taking part in this new tradition that's very novel that has been around for not even 200 years. And if you need innocent children to be murdered so that God's future can arrive, as if Jesus didn't say it is finished, as if Jesus didn't cry out on the cross, it is complete, as if all yeses and amens are finished at Calvary, friends, we've moved away from Jesus and we're preaching and we're adding to the gospel. We're saying Jesus plus this political reality and you support them unquestionably because we need history to turn out right. No, friends, God is sovereign. All we have to do is trust in Jesus and his way and all these things will be added unto you as well. Just seek first the kingdom and the kingdom doesn't come with horses and chariots. It has arrived in Christ and him crucified. And that's the importance of this. It is a gospel issue. And if you're discerning, how do I tell if I'm on or off in terms of it being a lamb lens? Have you lost track of the humanity of anybody? Because if you lose track of the humanity of anyone, you have lost track of the crucified. Whoa. Got to sit with that. So the challenging thing about this conversation for many people that don't understand the history and background, even of the Palestinian people. And the big questions really are here for many people is like, whose side are we on in this conflict? Are we on the side of the Jews, which we, you know, often as Christians, we we take our spiritual heritage from that background. So there's an automatic assumption that we're on the side of the Jews. And I think it'd be great for you to speak into the the various, as you've inferred, Jewish perspectives on that uh, but also, um, I think the the conflict, a lot of people are saying, you know, on uh, the 7th of October, um, this horrendous crime took place by Hamas yeah, into Israel, and uh, people that matter to God um, were brutally attacked. Yes, they were. And so um, it sounds like to some people when we talk about the plight of Palestinian people that we've forgotten somehow that 
Hamas first attacked, um, you know, Israelis. And this is like many countries, their response and part of the process of getting back their hostages. Now, at a basic, at a very basic level, it kind of makes sense, except there's a far bigger dynamic going on. And I'd love it if you could kind of speak into a little bit of that for us and how we think about that in terms of our own faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, firstly, regardless of somebody else's faith, God loves these people. Jesus was incarnate for these people. Jesus went to the cross and rose and ascended for these people. And we can't lose track. I'm no way advocating for a supersessionist or replacement theology. Jesus says he has not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. But we're called to a, a righteousness, uh, a healing justice, uh, a making of right that ascends or is above that of the popular movements at the time, like the Pharisees. And this, this righteousness that ascends above is a righteousness that actually fulfills the law because it realizes that the kingdom has actually broken in. And so because the kingdom is broken in and because it has been, because Jesus did what Israel was called to do, but could not do. And Jesus is doing that on our behalf and doing that as God on our behalf. Our gospel is we are called out of a practice of the law that is like attention to well, let's quote the Apostle Paul. Um, circumcision is of no value. What counts is trust or faith, covenant faithfulness, expressing itself as love. Or Paul later, I mean, that's what, five, six um, in Galatians or in Galatians um, six, it says um, circumcision is of not no value, but new creation. If we are in on the Hebraic hope, the healing of the world, actually breaking into history and is underway in the strangest of ways through Christ and him crucified. This is why we lay down our weapons and are actually found on the side of all that are hurting. So again, to go back to um, our Lord's Beatitudes, blessed who are poor in spirit, not poor of spirit, <laughs> which is how a lot of us preachers preach it. Um, if you have a low self-esteem, hey, God thinks that's awesome. You don't have a sense of your own dignity. That's cool. God says that's great. And it's like, no, 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 it's poor in spirit. And if you're wondering what that means, well, Luke's gospel in chapter six in the Sermon on the Plain actually answers it for us. It means blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. But Jared, I'm not poor. Yeah, but in the same way, if you go for the Maroons, in spirit, you know who your team is. You know who your people are. And you know where this coming kingdom is breaking out amongst the most vulnerable amongst those who are oppressed, amongst those who are hurting. And that doesn't, but no one's asking what's on their passport. No one's asking what is their ethnicity. No one's asking what is their religion. It's if you know where the kingdom is breaking out now that Jesus has showed up on the scene, we know that our baptism unites us to all who are suffering. And that's why the next beatitude is blessed are you who lament, who mourn, who enter into the grief of the world. Because if you know your identity is part of this ecclesia, which is an alternative to how the world works, an alternative to domination, an alternative to sin and oppression, an alternative to death, we know we're a part of this people 
who always side with those who are on the underside, as Howard Thurman would put it, those with their backs against the wall. If you're wondering, in Jesus, who are my people? A Christendom answer would say, well, how do we calculate the best position to stay chaplains to those who are in power and make sure that we are never cop anything? But an early Christian response, a response that trusts in resurrection, a response that, like the early church says, silver and gold have I not, but get up and walk. One that has the power of the powerless, that brings God's powerless future of resurrection by witnessing to the way of the cross. This is the foolishness of our gospel. We know that these people are our people. Our baptism unites us to every vulnerable person who's suffering. And so we're not asking what's on someone's passport. We ask who's copying it and how do I stand with them? Because that is where Christ is found. That is where I'm to mourn. That's where I'm actually to be part of the nonviolent who will inherit the land. That's where I hunger and thirst for God's healing justice and will be filled. And once we realize that these aren't virtues for us to strive for, this is a location of where the kingdom is breaking out. We can say with my friend, Reverend Dr. Muntha Isaac, who's pastor of Bethlehem um, Lutheran Church, when he says, if you're wondering where God is in this moment, God is under the rubble. God is buried with those children. We do not have a functioning hospital in Gaza at the moment. And even if you are, quote unquote, a friend of Israel, friends, don't let friends drive drunk. I, like, th this is bad for everyone. Th th this is bad. This actually causes an increase in anti-Semitism because people who fall into these anti-Semitic tropes of Jews control the world. And I, I had one friend who started sharing like Kanye craziness after all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, what? we must be so clear to stand against all forms of anti-Semitism and all forms of racism, mm. including the legal definition, which discriminates against one people based upon their ethnicity or religion over against another. And any of us who have experienced, not the Disneyland experience of um, going to the Holy Land, where a certain government controls who the tour guides are and will revoke um, their license if if they tell the other story but the actual experience on the ground and with those brave israelis who are speaking out against what this far-right government is doing and what it's doing not merely to palestinians but to arab israelis we owe it to those whistleblowers those who are being persecuted for speaking out against the crimes of the israeli state to stand with them as they stand with the vulnerable Mike and Hannah, I almost just want to say, at the very least, the church should be doing what these prophetic Israeli human rights and peace groups are doing at the moment, which is not losing sight of the humanity of Palestinians as if their lives meant less to the coming kingdom of God. Again, if somebody and children have to suffer to bring about your hope for the world, well, Jesus isn't the sacrifice who ends sacrifice. You're still asking for more blood. You're still asking for somebody else to suffer. Jesus brings an end to that and says, you will be blessed 
if you're given a hard time and people say all kinds of things here, I've been called the most anti-Semitic stuff since this war has started for trying to stand with the Hebraic prophetic tradition who doesn't lose sight, trying to stand with the Israeli human rights and peace groups who don't lose sight of the humanity of Palestinians. And at the same time, I've copped it from those who are like, no, you need to like justify these actions. There is never any justification for the taking of human life. Never. Mm. And those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And the only solution is not bombing these extremist groups into the ground, which is actually what created ISIS. You took one extremist group and you handed out unmitigated oppression against it in a hope to kill it. And we find if you drive out one spirit, seven more return. Jesus was right when he said, Satan cannot drive out Satan. And if we use all the th means that Jesus was offered in the desert and said no to, to bring about, quote unquote, God's kingdom, we've actually said yes to Satan, not to God. Mm. We've chosen a demonic option instead of the way of discipleship. I... I am probably trying, struggling to trying to keep it together at the moment, to be honest, because it's um, as we should be struggling to yeah. compose ourselves, I think, um, if we're not uh, moved in our spirit, if our spirit, I think, doesn't groan with us and lament with what's happening, what is the spirit doing? Like, what yeah. spirit do we have if it's not one at the moment of, of the mourning and lament of what is going on at the moment. And I think probably for, for people who don't have an experience, and I'll speak for myself, I I think when I was listening to uh, your podcast um, with the Reverend Dr. Monta Isaac and um, I was just so challenged and not, I guess I'd never never actually considered Palestinian Christians, and I know it sounds very naive, but because of what we have, I guess, what the tradition we've grown up in, we haven't even considered. And I think he mentions that we're not an empty land. Mm. It's a it, and um, and what struck me most is um, he he mentioned that what is causing so much pain is the silence mm. of the Christian community in the world with what's happening at the moment and. Um, and what you're sharing there, like we we have to be on on the side where Jesus is with the oppressed, and and what do we do? I'm so um, challenged with not being silent, and I think it does come from like what the experience you're sharing about being called anti-Semitic or or whatever it is. I think people sometimes, particularly Christians, don't want to be seen as being anti-Semitic or whatever and so they just don't say anything like nothing's done nothing's mm. said it, there's almost there's just silence because we're not sure what to do what to say but our silence speaks for itself mm. and i think um that that so challenged me that in our silence that already speaks volumes to our brothers and sisters who are actually suffering mm. um and so in light of that what and even if it's just for myself what is the what can we do in standing for and not just being silent and it's not to just offer our opinion 
and not just to verbalize something but to actually allow our lives that should be worship to Jesus worship to God our lives lived out how do our lives in this moment as worship to Jesus how do we stand and not be silent in what's mm. happening here yeah thanks Hannah Hannah um what comes to mind is even if you do have a theology where Israeli lives are more important than Palestinians, which I hope we can start to go, Lord, please save me. Please, please deliver me from anything that would undermine anybody's humanity. Or a theology that would see Palestinian people as our enemies. This is the Apostle Paul's earliest quoting of how to go the way of Jesus. It was written before Matthew, before Mark, before Luke, and before John. In Romans 12, Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but re leave room for wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, quote, if your enemy is hungry, what are Christians to do? Even if you consider our Palestinian brothers and sisters, I'm getting daily text updates from Christians in Gaza who are asking us to pray by name for the people that they're watching dying, including in churches, in churches where people are trying to take refuge. The hospitals are cut off. There's no power. People are literally choosing, like, where, what are we going to do with these resources? These children are on incubators and the, the powder for the breast milk that we're giving them, it's unsanitary water that we're mixing it with. That's the reality. Even if we consider these people, our sisters and brothers, our enemies, if they are hungry, we're to feed them. If they are thirsty, we're to give them something to drink. In doing this, we will heap burning coals upon their head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is not a minor point. That is the cross summarized. That Jesus, as the Lamb, has taken upon himself the sin of the world. That our shame of identifying with any side over the other, he has actually detoxified that. So regular, problematic, broken sinners like us can become a people who are recognized by the way that we live as God's children because we become peacemakers, because we don't lose track of the humanity of anybody. And doing this, ironically, helps the nation state of Israel be the best it can be and also provides a possibility for the Palestinian people not merely being occupied territories, but one day actually being able to govern themselves in a real way without the corruption and the kind of ways that the Oslo Peace Accords nearly made way for. And yet here we are because of some of the corruption. I don't want to get into the politics of, of all of that. I, I instead want to call the church to what we're called to do. And friends, if we hear these teachings of our Lord, which is the gospel being witnessed to and embodied by us and think that it's utopian or think it's impractical or think it won't work, that's okay. Peter didn't think it would work either. And so Peter came packing heat. And Jesus heals the one who Peter strikes. 
and then has forgiveness for Peter three times after denying him three times. And God is not going to give up on us either. And if the rock that God builds his church upon is this kind of brokenness and can work with that, he can work with us. And some of us might be feeling a call to repentance, but go, no, this challenges my theology or this challenges me siding with one people, or I have certain flags on my social profile or at home, or I, I think about prophecies in certain ways. And this challenges all of that. That experience is no different from any of the apostles. You are undergoing your own Damascus road. And when we realize that our Lord responds, not with vengeance, but with forgiveness, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we deny the humanity of anybody, we realize that that was Christ. When was I hungry? When was I in prison? When was I a stranger? When was I naked? When was I sick? Whatever you did to the least of me, our Lord responds, that was me. You did it to me. And friends, we need to drop all our eschatologies where the yes and amen aren't answered at Calvary and undergo the Apostle Paul's experience, where we are blinded to realise that we have been blind to see the humanity of others. Mm -hmm. We have been complicit and participated theologically with all sincerity, with the killing of others. And God responds with the forgiveness of the cross and says, you have a testimony to tell of how you once denied the humanity of some people and now you're not losing track of the humanity of anybody. You have a testimony to tell. And you might fear that those that you're sent to, that you used to be involved in undermining their humanity, are going to reject you. And you find the Palestinian Christians, I've never seen the church anywhere around the world. Of all my years of working in aid development and relief, on every continent other than South America, paying attention to being situated in the churches in this place, I've never seen a commitment to the meekness, the nonviolence, the disarmed way of the cross, as you will hear from Palestinian Christians, and they will respond to you with graciousness, and they will call you out whenever they hear anything anti-Semitic from you and say, do not lose humanity, the humanity of Israelis. God loves them as well. And if they can do that in the power of the Spirit, mm. we can too, friends. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this is um, this is deeply challenging, but also such a beautiful vision because um, the gospel actually is a vision of God restoring all things, making all things new, and us being invited to participate in that um, that unfolding restoration that started at the cross and resurrection. Um, you know, we've referenced uh, Reverend Doctor. Um, Monta Isaac from Bethlehem, Palestinian pastor, theologian, um, correct me if I'm wrong, trained at Oxford, mm -hmm. um, incredibly intelligent, and yet um, he says a deeply challenging thing to us, which is to remind us that God is not on the side of any country, mm. but God is for every nation, people, and tongue. Mm -hmm. And in that if we're wondering where God is, as you said before, he's always on the side of the oppressed every time. Mm. And so that's where we should be. And it doesn't matter whether it's um, Jewish people in the Holocaust or mm -hmm. whether it's Ukrainian or Russians mm -hmm. um, or whether it's 
all the Jews Armenians and what they're experiencing in Azerbaijan at the moment, right. or what um, is going on in Sudan, and we forget the genocide that's happening there at the moment. Right. Uh, these are our people because they're God's people and Christ is found there. That's right. Yeah. And I think that is, um, it's both liberating and challenging and actually speaks to then our prophetic role in saying that we are not for a flag or a country. We're actually, as Philippians says, citizens of heaven. Mm. Um, our allegiance is to the lamb of God. Mm. And so then that impacts, doesn't matter which side of politics, doesn't matter which people group, uh, we will always lean towards um, saying this cannot continue, which we yeah. say in Jesus' name. Yeah. Um, if we're if we're listening to this and we're like, okay, um, I'm praying, and a lot of people recently have been, you know, talking Wonderful. about pray for the peace of Jerusalem, um, and I'm hearing, you know, preachers online and everyone and lots of popular preachers, you know, bringing out this verse, which it very often is being used to be pray for the peace of Jerusalem means pray for Israel, right. and there's various, you know, nuances and a spectrum in, in those opinions there, um, to be fair, but. What are we talking about when Scripture says pray for the peace of Jerusalem? And what does that mean in the light of our role in praying now? Because Gaza isn't Jerusalem. So do we just pray for the peace of Like, what does that mean? How do you understand that? Yeah, Mike, I mean, if you and you have. If you spend any time with me, you, you know that, like, I'm just a big Jesus guy. I'm just, like, um, that kind of um, uh, this is how we know what love is that Christ Jesus laid down his life, so we ought to lay down our lives for our sisters and brothers. Um, so the answer is, okay, Psalm 22, how does Jesus embody it? How does Jesus fulfil it? Because Bonhoeffer in his commentary on the Psalms insists that, uh, you know, again, as 2 Corinthians one twenty puts it, that the yes and amen, all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. And so we jump into like Luke 19, and Jesus is approaching, he has set his face like flint and is approaching the city of Jerusalem. And he weeps over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew what would make for peace. So the question mm. for us is like, what has been hidden from our eyes? Mm. What is the way that Jesus brings peace? Mm. How does peace come to Jerusalem? And peace doesn't come by backing certain military superpowers mm. and sending all our money there. Peace comes in a Jesus-shaped way by the church being faithful to the way of Jesus. And once we realise that Jesus's tears are our baptism and we are baptised into the grief of God, the ache of God, the longing of God to heal our world, we find that as our wounds are healed, our heart breaks, but it breaks open to receive more of God's love. And that love is not merely a feeling. It's not just so intense as so much. It's how God saves the world. And the only way we get in is the way that we get on. It is the love of God that saves us at Calvary through the resurrection. And it is by taking up our cross, going the way of Jesus in resurrection power, in the grace of God, that we witness to how God is saved. That's why Revelation says it is by the blood of the Lamb and the witness of the martyrs. We have a role to play, and it's not based on might, it's not based on power, it's based on being filled by the Spirit of God and going the way of Jesus, trusting that enemy love is always the right answer. 
trusting that what makes for peace is the way of Jesus. And people will say that it's foolish, and some people will desire, desire wisdom, and others will want signs. But we have to keep preaching, not merely with our lips, but with our lives, Christ and him crucified. It is the very wisdom of God. So every time we give to World Vision and its work in um, Jerusalem, West Bank, Gaza, we are actually witnessing. Every time we call for a ceasefire for people to drop their swords, we're actually witnessing. Mm. Every time we don't lose track of the humanity of anybody, but join Israelis and um, uh, Jewish peace groups around the world in actually saying, no, this is not releasing the hostages. This is not bringing about an answer. And actually, we have questions because the initial things you said about these horrific things happening in the number, they haven't worked out and they're being fact-checked and they're not true. So why is this being weaponized in such a way to kind of explain away the value of these lives as if everybody in Gaza is Hamas? How, these justifications, I believe, Christians should be at the front line because we are connected to the humanity of Christ and in doing so, we are connected to God eye view, that lamb lens on every human life and going, no, sorry, we cannot abide this. We cannot comply with this. Every human life is valuable. Cease fire now. Let in the aid. Let in the relief. Let in the humanitarian groups. And some will go, oh, yes, but we live in a fallen world. Friends, we're the anti-fall movement. Mm. By grace, we're the church. We are to embody the not yet amidst everybody else's now so people can see it doesn't have to be this way. The ache of God has pierced human history as Jesus had his wrists and his feet pierced. This way of doing conflict is over. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to identify with those who are poor in spirit. And it's and thank you. And it's probably worth... Um... Hannah and I were talking about this before this discussion that when we're talking about peacemaking, peacemaking is not passive. It's not just about yeah. everyone being happy and harmony. That's that's a fruit that should come from good peacemaking. But can you give us an example of like w the consequence or uh, the cost of peacemaking and how that looks separate yeah. to silence? Because sometimes think peacemaking looks like silence. Yeah. 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 Um, friends, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. And most of us stop there in Philippians 2, but it goes on. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for us to do. Yeah. There is healing, restoring works that we are saved not just from something, the ways of domination, violence, sin, oppression, death, but for something, the ways of justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, as Paul puts it in Romans 14. And so we can go through those three 316s and it will answer that question for us. Like this, God saves. So like this, we witness to salvation in his power, not by works, but by grace to do good works. And some are like, well, isn't that a contradiction? Not according to the Apostle Paul. So either there's a problem with our theology or a problem with Paul. I'm going the problem is Jared's theology, not Paul's theology and want to get on board with that. So there are good things for you to do right now as you're listening to this podcast, and it involves your bank account. It involves where you put your body. Hope is where you put your body. What it is to actually stand with those, stand against all forms of anti-Semitism, all forms of Islamophobia, 
all forms of dehumanization, and a legal term for racism, which privileges in nation states one people above others based upon race or religion. And the technical term for that is apartheid. And Desmond Tutu's own experience, who I got to meet and spend time with. And sure, people might not be on board with all of Tutu's theology. You can't deny he is somebody who's taken up his cross and in his body, in sincerity, has sought, while being persecuted, to not respond in kind, but to respond with kindness. Not to answer evil with evil, but to declare there is no future without forgiveness and God's future arrives through the forgiveness of God. And Desmond Tutu, his experience on the ground, like my own experience, as someone who could get Israeli citizenship, is this is worse than apartheid. Desmond Tutu's words. This is worse than what they live through. And friends, if we can pause and not respond in ways where we're choosing a team, but hear the truth of those words and know our options aren't between like supporting Hamas or supporting a nation state, we are called to support all those who are working for peace, all those who are working for human rights, all those who are protecting the dignity of all. So peacemaking means taking our baptism seriously and joining those who are suffering, but also being meek, rejecting the way of the sword, rejecting violence, never justifying the dehumanization of anyone, because in doing so, we deny Christ. We deny his humanity and his divinity when we act like there is a way to save that isn't the way of the cross, that isn't the way of nonviolent suffering love, which is not weak. It's the lion's energy focus through the way of the lamb. You need that lament. You need that grief. And you need to bring it and ask God to mingle with it his grace so it becomes an empathetic power in us that imaginatively and compassionately we can practically do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And apparently, this fulfills Torah and the prophets. This is Elijah and Moses at the Transfiguration. And at the Transfiguration, the Torah, the law, and the prophets are present, but they're both asked to look to Jesus as their fulfillment. And the light that shines from our Lord is the light that is to shine out of us from glory to glory as we give up our ways of control, and maybe I just need to name it Mike and Hannah, um, our addiction to end time novels, um, which loses track of the end that God has in mind, his peaceable kingdom, they're control games. Life is so confusing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just this week, um, I, I've been supporting a friend going through the most outrageous, um, horrific thing uh, in, in their life, which I can't give away too many details, while another friend um, needs open heart surgery in their 40s. There's so much stuff coming at us all the time. And we often feel so vulnerable that we want simple answers. And it was actually Freud, the actually secular Jewish um, uh, psychologist. Psychologist. Yeah. Um, I kept thinking psychiatrist, and I'm like, no, not medication, the actual study of um, uh, psychologists who said the attraction to apocalyptic visions is that it gives people a sense of agency and control while still leaving them powerless, doing nothing. It is not the way of Jesus' peacemaking that leaves us powerless. It's these control games where we act like every horrific thing we're seeing in the news 
there is a certain part of us who wants our ache to be healed by someone telling us, yeah, but it's for our good. So every bad thing, just cheer it on, make some popcorn, sit back and relax and, and watch the movie unfold. No, friends, we're called to weep over Jerusalem, enter into the grief of our Lord. Christianity does not start, and it seems like a minor point, with a sinner's prayer. Christianity for the early church, for the non-Constantinian church, for the pre-Constantinian church, started with immersion into the life, the death, the burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. And to take our baptism seriously is to realise that we have been immersed in our life, dying to the old ways of conquering, and we rise to conquer and witness to the blood of the Lamb as a witness, as a martyr. As we do this, we actually realise that our invitation is not to invite Jesus um, into our hearts and trap him there. Jesus is God's invitation into God's heart. Jesus is the heart of God. And God wants to bring the world back into God's heart for healing, for delivering healing justice, for mercy, for compassion, for love, for equality, for the joy of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we need a Christianity that takes that seriously. And mm. I, I mean, I'll, I'll level with you now. For some of us, some family members are going to be awkward at Christmas. I'll just tell you straight out. And you need to stay in that humble place where you're like, this isn't me right against them. It's how God has made right through the cross. The forgiveness that God offers, we need to then offer to others and allow it to throw, flow through us. Or this will turn into a form of pride where we're like, I'm right, but we're still not involved in making the world right. Whenever we pray prayers like, thank you, God, I'm not like those. Well, like those people like I grew up in my church who unquestionably supported Israel, even though it was bad for the nation state of Israel, even though it actually caused the rise of anti-Semitism, even though it actually undermines the humanity and justifies the killing of my Palestinian brothers and sisters. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. That attitude, we haven't been saved. We are just responding, reacting to another bad option. We've got to become people of humility where we weep over Jerusalem and realise our own complicity. If Jesus can identify with our sin, we should have the humility to identify with our own sin <laughs> and the sin of our sisters and brothers and wait for God to do God's resurrection work. Ooh. It's a lot here to sit with. Hannah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I just, I think the call to take our faith seriously, which um, that in itself is a challenge because I think uh, particularly, and we this is what we've journeyed with even in our discussions with Revelation, you're, you're constantly fighting against this idea that our faith is just that we've been saved, so when we die, we're not going to suffer some eternal torment or something, or we're just going to we're going to go to heaven, and that that sums it up. That is that is what it is. We say a prayer, and it's done, and and then we just go on. But we know that's that's not the gospel. That is not in the New Testament. It's not what mm. Revelation says. And it's it is about actually now bearing the image of God, taking seriously this call to be united 
in Christ crucified mm-hmm. and and walking that out and, and taking it seriously and not just letting it become something that is apathetic and just, you know, becomes just another part of our lives, but it is actually, it is what shapes us and, and drives us. Um, yeah, it just, it's such a challenge, I think, to just take our faith seriously. Um, yeah, wow, it's just really, mm. there's so much, Jared, I just, incredible. Like it's, thank you so much for, yeah, what you're sharing with us. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, my friend, I'm wondering, um, this will be one of those ones where people go back over and listen to this a few times mm. to let this sit in because uh, there's a richness of so much depth flowing through. Um, I'm wondering, I'm putting you on the spot in asking this, whether you might be able to pray for us um, as we kind of close out our time together because it feels right for us to um, – to pray, to respond um, as we feel moved. I'm sure people listening to this will be um, both emotionally uh, moved in different ways. Some people going, hang on, what? What does this mean? And feeling restless and unsettled and some others just saying, God, I I, I don't know how to how to play my part in this whole story unfolding. Mm. Um, would you be able to do that for us today? Of course, mate. It would be my pleasure. And I want to th- thank you for how um, courageous you're being in even having the conversation, Um, particularly in the kind of culture war climate where people are always wanting to bring this into another us versus them. Mm. I am so thankful for your church and the witness that it is that you can hold different people together on this journey and say, look, we're not going to play this game of compromise. We're going to instead look to Christ and be called to repentance. Mm. And that is true for all of us. This isn't about accepting a different theology. This is allowing Jesus to be our theology. Yeah. And um, I, I'll be so honoured to pray, but if people are feeling like, oh, my goodness, this is so overwhelming, so different, l- let me pray. Maybe I'll, I'll put it into prayer. Precious mm. Lord, um, firstly, worthy is a lamb that was slain yeah. to receive honour and glory and all power. Mm. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, um, as people listen, and whether they're they're driving, as Mike was saying earlier, or washing the dishes or packing up their kids' toys at the end of the day or uh, uh, going for a run early in the morning, wherever you find these children of yours that you love, may they in this moment undergo your love in such a way and be assured that the love you have for them, you have for every one of your children, that the promises in Genesis 12 that have been realized at Calvary through the resurrection, as our Lord ascends and is at the right hand right now at the center of reality, this nonviolent love, this nonviolent Messiah, this Messiah who disarms our hearts that our lives might be disarmed to witness to a power that is stronger than the grave that rose you from the dead. May they know this love for themselves in such a deep, profound way that it would not stop with them, but move through them, Lord. That they would be able to see everyone, those they agree with and those they disagree with, those that um, certain cultural formations have said that identify here and not there, those that they would be tempted to hate. Lord, even their enemies, that you love them, 
And if we are to be found in you, we're to be found being a blessing to those who are on the other side of whether it be arguments or conflicts. Because these are people that you came for, you died for, you rose for and you ascended for. Precious Lord, we pray right now that this experience of love would become our agenda, our program for loving others. That grace is not merely what would save us, but how we would witness to salvation. Lord, we ask that you would save us from pride. Lord, we would ask you to save us from judgment. Lord, we would ask you to save us from us-them games. And instead, in our grief, as we allow our hearts to break, may we hear the good news that there is one worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals, and he has conquered on a cross. May we be people of your love. May we live the good news of grace in how we respond to everyone. So, Lord, we pray your kingdom come. In Gaza, Lord, throughout the whole region, Lord, in your church, Lord, may your kingdom, your reign, your very presence, your future may be found in us and what you desire, may it be done. And may we be found doing it in your power Mm. to the glory of your holy name. And all God's people said, yeah, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Of course, mate. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that it maybe sparked your interest or raised some questions for you. I hope that you feel maybe challenged, encouraged, or even liberated. Stay tuned for next week where we finish the liberating revelation ponderings with a Q&A. So if you still have any questions, be sure to send them through at hbartle at goodlife.org.au. This podcast is made possible by an excellent team of human beings. So a big thanks to Josiah Niven, Cherie Allen, Greg Forrest, Mike and Teresa Hardy, Amos and Hannah Bartle, Emma Bell and the countless other encouragers, friends and colleagues who continue to support the Good Life mission of building community, fostering help and offering hope to all people. Make sure you follow our socials, like and leave a five-star review and listen to our sermon series also available on our podcast. Peace.